We all remember last fall when Hurricane Ida made landfall in, in these running my operation now in the, the former mayor of Louisiana uh, when it hit Louisiana. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children. Good Tuesday to you all and welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. Fellas, how we doing? Fantastic. I mean, we got a lot of content for this one. This is like, man, this is a jam-packed episode. A jam-packed episode. It was a great uh, weekend. You guys watched some football on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, great football. Great football. I, I got to say, I mean, these last two weekends have been some of the greatest football I've ever seen in the playoffs. Totally. Just incredible stuff. I mean, close games, playmakers. Just like, like playmakers like on every team on both sides of the ball. It's... uh. It's fun, and our and our good friend Smash Ashbrook was was sobbing because yeah. the Cincinnati Bengals, at long last, yes. are headed back to the Super Bowl. I mean, you guys realize Joe Burrow's never lost a playoff game. Ever. <laughs> I mean, I kind of can now watching him play. What a what a wonderful weekend of sport! <laughs> An incredible weekend of sport, and I you know I I saw um, Holmes. You you quote tweeted. You know Holmes for our listeners, if you don't know, is a Vikings fan. Yeah. And uh, he's having a real hard time getting his head around the fact that the Bengals now will have been gone, you know, going to their third Super Bowl since the last time yeah. you've been to a Super Bowl. Yeah, wow. I, don't, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about 1978? it. 1978. Yep, uh, it's uh, late 70s. Yeah, pretty rough. No, it's it's. I mean, it's absolutely catastrophic. And yeah. and frankly, this is the kind of pain that I subject myself to in the <laughs> off season. The only thing I have going for me is the hope and dreams that a new coach and a new GM may bring something different that I haven't experienced in all of my years on this planet. There's there's nothing quite like the cope of a you know failed NFL franchise fan <laughs> that you spend you know you spend six months at every year being like I don't know this new GM he's gonna shake could be up. good could be good could be good yeah we got cap room we got great cap room oh, to work with so it's yeah, tough it's, it's just, tough it's terrible it's terrible but we have a great show. Uh, we have our guests today. First of all, you'll recognize him uh, just by his voice, Steve Hilton, who has a, a show on Fox News. Uh, but he, he's partnered up with Kristen Garcia Dumont for a new podcast that they've got. Uh, we had him on. I think you'll enjoy the interview. They're from California, so they can talk uniquely about what a shithole that is. <laughs> uh, and and it was fun. It was a good conversation. I enjoyed it. Um and part, I mean, part, literally part of the conversation that we had was was about censorship, about Spotify, about the Joe Rogan situation. I mean, let's get your take off the top. What, what do we what do we think about how this has all transpired? Well, look, I think it's great that uh, Spotify is apparently uh, siding with you know free speech and free exchange of ideas. Uh, then again, I mean, like I don't know who's dying to go to spotify to, to, to listen uh to neil young you they've know. got the vinyls plan if right. they've got neil young but i mean look so so those of you who didn't didn't follow it joe rogan his his podcast is great right i mean he has a bunch of open conversations with people where he allows people to express their point of view he's some doctors who frankly thought that the vaccine didn't work or and and you know one doctor that was a uh, 
sort of an inventor of mnra uh technology the guys had got like seven or eight patents yeah on, on mrna but yeah. at, as a result of this then all of a sudden neil young comes from canada uh dropping down and then the southern man didn't want him around anyhow that's as we right know, that's as right we know um to say that you have to pull his content from spotify if they don't cancel joe rogan somebody they just made a hundred million dollar investment in right and and so you know to back up a little bit so uh Neil Young sold like half his royalties. Like you've seen a lot of artists lately, uh, Stevie Nicks, they sell their like catalog to like a private equity fund or a hedge Mm -hmm. fund or something like that. Mm -hmm. And all the royalties from it. So Neil Young sold like half his rights, made a boatload of money. And now it's like, okay, uh, I, I, I encourage other people to like also boycott right. Spotify. Yeah. Like, like he's, he's not actually risking that much. Yeah. He, he's right. not risking anything. And what, you know, bugged me is so, um, uh, Joe, Joe Rogan releases a statement where he's like, you know, maybe I'll try to bring on more like mainstream guests and stuff like that. And I'm like, that is, yeah, don't that's just, out now. that's just heartbreaking that at well, this point you cannot bring in, you know, a diverse group of people from different viewpoints. It's like the way that the left has managed to stranglehold what is acceptable dialogue, what can be said, um, this whole garbage misinformation you know kind of kind of vice that they're using as as they've weaponized right is anything that disagrees with their current talking points is misinformation yep. well and the, and the other thing i'd point out is he's had sanjay gupta from cnn on to he's talk. not so joe rogan's not an ideological warrior like this right. this guy's not a republican national committeeman no no right no. i mean he's he's like he just wants conversations well j- just like in all of these conversations about censorship the left focuses in and frames in one particular interview or right. statement or opinion that somebody has and then decides they need to be canceled and of course like joe rogan is more comp i mean what makes his show so great is that he's the first one to admit like he doesn't know what he's talking about and that's what makes him a good host it does right like when you can walk into something with no ego saying, oh, well, this is the facts and this is what I know. And it allows his guests to like, you know, expound on what they think. And then he can ask questions as, you know, a neutral observer. Nor- normal human being. Right. Which, right. which which I would remind like the people in the liberal media who want to cancel Joe Rogan. That's how 99 percent of the country thinks. Yeah. Right. They get new information and they have questions about it. And so Joe Rogan acts as that facilitator on his podcast in a way that I think is like way more helpful for our democracy than censorship. And I think that's one of the main purposes of why the left has become so ardent about policing what can be said, what can't be, is they want to get rid of that critical thinking element. They want to kind of like program it into people that, you know, it the, the way that we saw a university that put out an assignment that said you have to identify someone as a racist, call them out by name. As an assignment, they were doing this. Like, they want to create this like network of foot soldiers who right. will go forth and help them exercise control over what people are allowed to think or say. Well, and it's gotten, you know, it's it's been very rapid how quickly they've gotten a vice-like grip it's, on. It's the same thing, Smug, as like when they say, you know, disinformation spread through fake news. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they actually don't care about that. No. Otherwise, they wouldn't spend millions and millions of dollars standing up fake you know, networks of fake news websites yeah. across the country, right. which they're doing right now as we speak. They're sending direct mail to people. You know, they're advertising on the Internet. They're advertising in places that they, these platforms will not let political candidates advertise. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Okay, so they do not care about fake news. They don't care about algorithms and platforming what they consider bad voices. All they want to do is have the platforms rig the algorithm so that you have to see the New York Times and CNN before you would ever see anything posted by Joe Rogan. Totally. And, and like that's, that's really the core of, of the problem. It is the core of the problem. But, I mean, look, it's not, it, should, it actually shouldn't be a surprise to anybody who's followed the modern left. I mean, this is the way they operate, right? They just shame everyone into tr- trying to conform right? basically to an aristocratic thematic or narrative that basically, you know, fits the top 2% on the East Coast in their urban epicenters and to hell with everybody else, right? It's why, like, when you look at what's happening with the Canadian truckers, for example, yeah. it's so heartwarming because you've got middle of... Middle Canada, I should say, but operating a lot like Middle America, which is the first time I've seen anything like that in my lifetime in Canada, are basically saying like, "Hey, we're the center of the country. Remember us?" Right. And it's amazing to see how like the left just is is wanting a absolute crackdown, and they're like, "Man, the working class is terrible. These people have to be punished. This is unbelievable." <laughs> and that's it's the thing is that like the, the the left is no longer like the party of like hippies and, and, and free speech and like no censorship and free love like that is nothing of what the What's the opposite of what they are they've become this like ultra corporatist big brother entity where the overton window is extremely narrow for what they allow in any sort of a discussion i mean it's why you see um uh, uh, there were all those boycotts that happened for for the MLB, right? Right, the Georgia yeah. election, yeah, law. giant yeah. corporations, right. which are able to be very easily swayed and controlled by the left, and any anything uh, that 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 the left is pushing is very quickly adopted, you know, by these corporations who are like, you know, um, I think Black Lives Matter is a, is a great example where you had. Oh, Pepsi! We are committing fifty million dollars to anything yeah, you tell us to pay do, them. and, and it's yeah, a racket. It's an absolute racket. It's incredible. Well, you know, the one thing that get, that stands in front of a lot of that is democracy. Yeah, turns out people have a say in this country and in Canada, evidently. But like one thing that we have been looking at uh, on this particular program, yes, is what what all is the internet and democracy bringing for like your average household? Right. And we kind of we spent it's like hobby horse of ours. And we yeah. look around, we try to figure it out. We stumbled across this company called Masterworks, which is fascinating in a lot of ways. It is a it is a company that it, it's it's sort of or origin, I should say, is democratizing fine art. Right. Right. Where they ultimately try to bring an investor class like a small dollar investor class into investing in fine art that is appreciated like 10 15 20 25 percent a year that's never allowed to to have like you know normal people invest in right right, right. Need, like, like, unless you show up at an auction house in new york city you're never gonna yeah like see if, any if, if you want a banksy it's not like the average person could be like i'd like a piece of that right Tip, but you know before it was like if you don't have like 20 mil <laughs> like already in the account with Sotheby's. Right. It's not that, happening. That, no, that's right. Like you can't even get in the door. Yeah, not right? happening. But this outfit basically is is group funding. Yeah. Purchases of fine art. And you're like, oh, I'm not into that. You know, I'm not into fine art. Fine art's not my thing. Well, you're, you'd get into it if you had a 31% return. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which is what these guys are saying. And anyway, we talked to them. We decided to partner with these guys. And they're a sponsor of today's program. Hell yeah. Which which is great. And let me just let me just give you that. 
with inflation at a 39-year high and rising, on top of COVID variants whiplashing stock markets, there's never been a better time to rethink your portfolio mix. Today, one of the smartest investments you can make in, to diversify your portfolio, as we just said, is fine art. So according to City, and this is these are real stats, according to City, art significantly outpaced the S&P 500 from 1995 to 2020. And that was like a hell of a bull market. That that's period. a big market, right? I mean, that's a lot of stuff going on there. Which means when the market drops, a well-diversified art portfolio might not. Because, you know, they're not making more yeah, banks. Yeah, that's the thing. Right? So, and you start to see some of this stuff online with, like, NFTs and whatnot. Right, and cryptocurrency and things like that. Like, unique asset classes to invest in. Right, yeah. right. So, like, you've got the Wall Street Journal, all kinds of different places saying, you know, we all laugh, but it's not like fine art is actually one of the hottest markets there is. It's just not approachable to your average consumer. It's right. not like a stock market where you can just go buy a dollar stock penny stock you know right whatever so the ultra wealthy have basically had a monopoly on this but now with masterworks you can get involved masterworks is democratizing the art market by allowing everyday investors to own their own piece of iconic paintings and blue chip from blue chip artists like picasso and warhol banksy at an affordable entry point so while making this great art is difficult, investing in it is easier than ever. Even better, they're giving ruthless listeners priority access. Oh, now, yeah. this That's is a big the fun deal. part. That's right? a big deal. This is the fun part. So you can start building an intelligent portfolio today at masterworks.art slash ruthless. That's masterworks.art slash ruthless. You can see important disclaimers there at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. But here's the thing, guys, and this is the reason I, I kind of like this. No matter what, you guys should go check this out. Yeah. Because you don't have to think of it like, oh, it's a snooty fine art. I mean, the reason you think it's snooty is because you can't buy one, right? Right. But this like, actually allows you to do that. And more importantly, the appreciation of the value of these pieces, it, it, it just gives you money, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's like sort of a novel idea to me so so what, what got my attention so th here's an example when i was reading through this it says uh in october 2020 masterworks made history by selling banksy's mona lisa for 1.5 million after they offered the painting to masterworks investors the prior october at 1 million 39,000. so that's like half mil one year Boom. made for their investors and also this isn't like you know a, a fly-by-night company their their valuations hit a billion dollars so yeah no no it's a big it's <laughs> yeah. not going away it's a big deal for the program it's a big deal well, for you, the program. Know, you know i saw some of their ads online before this even came across the old variety program uh it, it, i think it could be a good investment for me in particular to sort of offset the losses i've taken in my <laughs> My uh, <laughs> football gambling recently. Oh yeah. Uh, so I mean, uh, you're a good way to diversify. Yeah. You know? No, I mean you don't. Have, you don't have to be a day trader to understand the value of it. Right. Right. And if they're not making more, that's obvious. Right. It's obvious. Anyway, go browse around. I think it's fun. Again, hit that link, and uh, I think they'll treat you well over at Masterworks. Anyway, fellas, we got some five stars here. Uh, Dunks, you want to take this first one? Sure. This is ski for free. Quintuple threat is the title i live in upstate new york town of sarasota saratoga springs if you know anything about the area you know it's full of brain worm wine moms <laughs> yeah. and thoroughbred racehorses that is a great combination right there uh thanks to the quintuple thread of smug holmes duncan henny and ashbrook i'm really glad 
that this mentions Henny and Ashbrook. Yeah. Despite the controversy last episode with (laughs) Smug. Uh, I am well equipped to to take on this hotbed of inbred (laughs) undulates and social media motherhood. My only wish is that I could get a looped track of the intro music to blast in my truck. Oh, and since you're asking, number one, an NHL hockey player. Number two, thrill of victory. Number three, an in and out double double animal style with animal style fries and a bowl of Count Chocula for dessert. Well, I like that. answering all the questions. I Good like answer. that. Plus, you know, look, somebody from Saratoga Springs that's familiar with the in and out. That's a well traveled in- individual. Right, very well traveled. That right. tends to be a West Coast thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, Smug, you want this one? Sure. Uh, this is from SB Donaldson. It says Weekly Harvest. Love the show. It's always good for a laugh. I like to juxtapose my morning commute with Ruthless, followed by NPR, so I'm appropriately outraged at my desk. I tried to rate with 25 stars, but unfortunately, ballot harvesting on the platforms is not allowed. <laughs> and also, I mean, which also reminds me, I didn't know this. Spotify now lets you rate five stars, so those of you know our listeners who are on Spotify, I guess it's like in the top right, the three little dots. Click yeah. on that. Give us a five star. Yeah, we'd appreciate it. Yeah. We appreciate um, it. And it says, I promised the stars came from other eligible raiders. Good man. Uh, would have rated sooner, but couldn't find a Dropbox. Turns out you can just rate right on the show page. Good <laughs> there now. you go. There you go. Uh, this is a spooky of Twitter. Viva Variety. Ruthless, the one and only. Smug and the boys are going to give it to you straight and keep things from getting crushingly morose or incredibly depressing. We need more happy warriors like these guys. Keep the faith. Hold the line. Own the lives exactly yeah <laughs> all right let's get into the meat of the program uh fellas you we know we lamented last week how about i mean literally the biden administration can fuck up a two-car parade and we know that's well documented they did so with the Breyer retirement unbeknownst to justice stephen Breyer, he was retiring they retired him yeah right? amazing and then had to hold a press conference the next day to sort of give it the formality that a justice deserves yeah <laughs> Right. But then we saw over the weekend ESPN kind of did the same thing to Brady. Yeah. Do you guys see that? I did. Yeah. Uh, like like it was insane seeing it unfold in real time. We're like this breaking news alert gets out. That's like Brady is retiring. And I was like, oh, man, that kind of sucks. And then it's like, actually, he may not be. Actually, he is. And then uh, Tom Brady's like dad is like, I haven't heard anything about this. Who to put it out there? <laughs> So it's like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, and and then Brady, like, I guess calls the owner of the Bucks and, and is like, I have not made any decision yet. And all of this transpired over the course of, like, 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah it was all so fast, yeah. right? So they, But here's there are two things that I think are very interesting. One, ESPN did not retract the story. Yeah. They went on Sunday all day after the GM call and all those things. They didn't bring it back, right? The second piece is I am told that Brady – at the end of the NFL season, so like the day after the Super Bowl, is scheduled to receive a $15 million uh, signing bonus, right? Obviously, you don't want to retire before yeah, you get yeah, that sucker yeah. in your pocket. Right. Right? So my guess is this is probably all true, right? But he's certainly not going to tell anybody before the end of the regular se- or end of the, the NFL season. Right. He needs his money. Yeah. Right? Doesn't it say something? I mean, I think it— I think it'd be weak if if he retired. At like, this point, he kind of has to play though. He should play number one just to like dunk on all these journos that messed it up. But number two, if you're a true champion and really want to be the goat, you got to retire after a Super Bowl win, like John Elway. And so like, 
the history books will always remember Brady's number two, Elway number one. Oh, <laughs> oh Jesus. come on. There's our br- resident Bronco <laughs> fan checking in. <laughs> well, look, I mean, you know, as, as the resident Colts fan, um, I'm a little ambivalent about the whole thing because I'd like him to come back just so that he looks good in comparison to Bill Belichick and the Patriots. I think he already does. Resident. Right. Yeah, right. He, he, pro- he proved, he proved that, that point. Which was very impressive. Yeah, but just to do it again might be nice. I think it's nice just to throw it in some Giorno's eyes. Yeah. That would be that would be worth it for me. And it might be worth it for Brady because he's the ultimate agony of defeat guy. Yeah. He's he's like in the Jordan category in terms of agony of defeat. For sure. Right? Yeah, but, like doesn't doesn't enjoy any of his victories just on to the next. <laughs> have either of you guys been watching that like man in the arena? I've seen on? some clips of it, so I haven't no. been watching it religiously. Does I've anyone just, have ESPN plus? Like, no, that's any? the problem, yeah. right? No. I think that's the problem. Well, I, mean, I have like too many streaming services already, and I'm sure as hell I'm not going to give money to ESPN. That's the funniest part about cutting the cord is you slowly rebuild the cable package just <laughs> on all of these free yeah, streaming yeah. platforms. You know, <laughs> you have your same thing; it's only just not connected to the right, right, exactly. <laughs> all right, so anyway, but but the transition here was on Stephen Breyer, and you'll note um, that President Biden said during the campaign that he promised. That his first opportunity, he would install an African American woman as the first black woman to serve on the court. Well, ABC did a poll on this, and it turns out that 76% of Americans want President Biden to consider all possible nominees, while 23% want him to follow through on his commitment to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. Racist. That's exactly right. 76%. Just racist. Seven, All of them. 76% of racists. They want people confirmed on their qualifications. <laughs> How dare they? How dare they want somebody that's like that's not just sort of evaluated on the color of their skin. Yeah, I, I feel like there's this famous guy. What is his name? <laughs> Judged by the content or their character. He has a day. He oh, has is a that day. MLK. Oh, MLK. yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. And, and to me also, I think this is another way this is really messed up is so you look at uh, you know some of the names that have been thrown around that he might consider, and I mean I I've, I don't know how they've judged on cases or anything, but you look at their qualifications in terms of like went to like Harvard and then Yale Law and you know distinguished individuals yeah. who've put in the work, and now now folks will be able to say like well they were only picked because of the color of their skin and their gender. And it's yeah, like, damn, it's I mean, just bullshit. Yeah, right. I mean that was kind of like I saw Susan a clip of Susan Collins who was on uh, like Face the Nation or one of the shows. Uh, over the weekend, and that was her point. It's like, you got qualified people out there. Why you got to go put them in a box to begin with? Because it, all it does is make it political. All, right. it, all it does then is decrease the confidence the American people should have in the person that you're ultimately nominating. It is, But it's libthink in a nutshell, right? This is the way they just box checking. Bup, right. bup, 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 bup. It's incredible. It's just... Plus, you know, like Sheldon Whitehouse, he's going to be super conflicted. But yeah, voting, <laughs> voting like, for listen, some. I'm, as a member of multiple like all white clubs, uh, <laughs> how in the world am I going to vote for it? She it, can't it, get it, in my club. It, it's incredible. Biggest hypocrite in the Senate. And I was going to get on his ass later in this episode. So good. Well, we'll save that. Uh, but this poll went on. There was a couple of other interesting things. Uh, only one percent of Americans view the state of the economy as excellent oh no to only 23 percent say it's good here's why that's important guys the president last week had his entire press conference you remember the opening salvo like the two paragraph intro that he did before kicking it open yeah it was all about how excellent the economy is right right all about the 
excellence of the American economy. Turns out 1%. 1%. Are you kidding me? Even the dogmatic wine mom, brain dead, they don't even think it's good. No, they're the 23% that, that say it's good maybe if they work from home on Zoom. Oh, yeah, right. It's still going good for them. <laughs> Three out of four Americans say the state of the economy was not so good, not so good or poor. Uh, and there's other troubling numbers all like basically pick the issue shit yeah issue set. it's nuts it's nuts. Right? i mean crime 64 percent have a problem with how he's been doing i mean this is this is very telling of the priorities so the white house and and and, and to a, a certain extent you've had democrat senators because the dems have the house the senate the white house have been trying to make the centerpiece of 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 what they think matters to the american people uh the filibuster, which is like we want to explain to people about how voting is handled right. inside the Senate. We think that's going to really resonate. That'll move the needle. As opposed to like, hey, groceries are expensive. Like Republicans really, really have a huge opportunity because the American people have been completely left behind. The issues that matter to them. They're seeing crime skyrocketing, going unpunished with these like radical district attorneys that have been taking over cities. They're seeing that groceries you know, are getting more and more expensive by the day. I mean – it's insane well, how to much your groceries point, cost right now. To your point, 69% nice. of Americans disapprove of his handling on inflation. Are you kidding? 69%? Nice. This goose <laughs> is cooked, dog. Like, I don't, I mean. Well, I mean, back to Smug's point. I mean, you know, take off your partisan hat for a second and think about it like a voter. You know, the Democrats are making this argument, this esoteric argument about structural failings of democracy. Right. Right. The filibuster, the electoral college or, you know, we need to protect and federalize these elections through, you know, all of you know, get rid of voter ID and all of these things. They got to explain a lot. Right. Yep, totally. The Republicans just say, hey, look around, <laughs> look around. Do, are you doing well? And that's that's in that dichotomy is, is where you see a red wave building. Yeah. I mean, that's the old. Reagan line about is your life better off right. today than it was four years ago. Right. I mean, the answer to that right now is horribly no. And, and so uh, uh, Cook Political had more bad news for Dems. They had a piece out. It's called Senate Democrats May Have Further to Fall in 2024. The, the, to me, the most key uh, data that they presented here was looking at where Biden's uh, Gallup approval rating is. It's currently at 40 percent. That's nine points worse than President Obama's 49% at this point and 14 points worse than Bill Clinton, where right. he was at this point. Democrats lost six Senate uh, six Senate seats and 64 House seats in Obama's first midterm in 2010 and gave up eight Senate seats and 54 House seats in Clinton's Yikes. first midterm. So things are, I mean, red wave is basically the takeaway here. Red wave, red wave. And because of the structure of the Senate, you know, not everybody's up for re-election every cycle. I got six-year terms. And so... The, the structure of the 24 election is really troubling for Democrats, even if the environment improves. Right. Right. So like Charlie Cook in, in his new piece basically theorizes that they could get completely wiped out in this midterm and then they can get worse. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and for our listeners, it's an important thing to remember is sometimes the House and the Senate are independent variables when it comes to an election. You look back at 2018 yeah. where there was Picked a up blue, yeah, there's a blue wave of tons of. House Democrats elected, and we picked up Republican seats in the Senate. Yeah. Right? Yep. And and this election, we're favored to take back the House. The Senate's going to be a tougher situation because, like Holmes said, you know, every six years, you got a third of the seats up. So 
it's different. The Senate is the inverse of whatever it was six years ago, right? Right, because they have the six-year terms. You look back six years ago, you look at you know in 2024, you'd be looking at the 2018 election, which you know, look, I mean, Democrats had a pretty good day. If you look at the 2022 election, you know, you're looking back to 2016. Eh, it's kind of a split, kind of a mixed bag, right? And that's where we are now. But a good environment helps us a lot. Right, helps us a lot. So anyway, I think this is fascinating stuff. I could get into the weeds of it, but needless to say, good news. Good news for the red team. Huh? I love it. You guys want to talk uh, birds? I would love to talk Just birds. Just some animals. It's uh, been a always, while. I'm always here for the animal news. Um, <laughs> so they taught a bird to play golf. No. Yeah. Yeah, researchers at the University of Veteran Medicine in Vienna say cockatoos are capable of using complex tools just like humans, to play golf. Complex tools, I guess, are golf clubs. I feel like that sometimes in my golf game. I mean, every time I pick up a club, (laughs) it's a complex tool. So, but in this case, the birds held a stick with their beak and guided it towards a ball into a collapsible platform to release a treat. So it's kind of like the Pavlov dog thing we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's unbelievable. So, but these cockatoos actually turned out to be decent uh, golfers. So there's this one called Figaro, apparently. The Tiger Woods of cockatoos, it says here. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. So several cockatoos uh, completed the golfing task. An adult named Figaro outperformed most of his competitors and was able to solve the test in his first attempt. Amazing. In fact, Figaro only failed on one occasion. Figaro, a researchers say, the crafty bird cheated by finding an error in the mechanism that allowed him to solve it without using the tools. Well, every good golfer cheats a little bit. <laughs> Figaro the cockatoo. That's unbelievable. So can we fight Figaro? I, like, I'm trying to get to the end of this. Does Figaro fight something? He doesn't fight. He just golfs a little bit, I guess. I want, so so I guess my angle, my take is uh, cockatoos are awful birds. Can't stand the damn things. They're always screeching. They're going crazy. You know the <laughs> Aren't ones, Aren't they right? like an invasive species i think so i would label them as such they're those uh, you know what i mean they're those birds that have a like uh mohawk thing going on and are oh always yeah causing problems yeah but you could fight them probably right i mean i guess like uh, they have a presentable neck you know i'm sure there are folks who have birds in their house and and like that's great like if, the only bird i'd consider owning is like maybe an eagle no but what you about know, like a parrot that can like just mock shit all day yeah, i mean th- th- those are tough animals they just cause problems they're shouting they're out of control. They're telling the dog. They're to do flying shit. around in the cage. You know what I mean? Batting around. Yeah. Like I don't like that situation. They smell. Birds smell. They're they do. They're the horrible. Place, get rid of those filthy things. animals. Yeah. No. I, <laughs> I that's right. I think we've come down. To I like, don't care how charming you are from playing golf. <laughs> probably reek, Figaro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on to a, on to a a newsworthy story. This is is uh, you know I would say it's a surprise, but actually the people who wrote this, it's not that surprising. They cover this stuff pretty well at the New York Times. And it's about the Democrats decried dark money, and then they won with it in 2020. This is like right up your alley, Smug. Yeah. Um, this, you know, folks know this has been a hobby horse for me, and I keep trying to sound the alarm. You know, ruthless listeners, way ahead of the curve when it comes to the general public, when it comes to this. It is really insane, the amount of left-wing dark money that's being poured into this country um, that's being spent to elect Democrats, that's being spent to enact their policies. Um, and, and, and as I'd mentioned before, you see a lot of these radical district attorneys that get into office because, you know, people won't vote for, for decriminalizing crime 
So they say, okay, well, we just get a district attorney in there who just won't prosecute the cases. But the, the numbers that the New York Times put out here are just staggering. Yeah, I mean, so listen, it's spurred by this, I'm quoting here, spurred by opposition to then-President Trump, donors and operatives allied with the Democratic Party embraced dark money with fresh zeal, pulling even and, by some measures, surpassing Republicans in 2020 spending, according to New York Times analysis of tax filings and other data. The analysis shows that 15 of the most politically active nonprofit organizations that generally align with Democratic Party spent more than $1.5 billion Jeez. in 2020. That's wow. with a B. With a B. So, like, I've, I've, I've been letting folks know this is a huge, huge problem. And you're seeing – so this isn't just, like, a limited to, like, oh, maybe it's just, like, some Hollywood Dem donors or whoever. Uh, you know, Hans-Jörg Wiss – that Swiss billionaire, Swiss billionaire, just, foreign, a foreign, national, a foreign billionaire. I, I always bring him I in. I just love his his pronunciation. I love his pronunciation. Like the, of the, it. the game they got going on is they can let this you know foreign billionaire, right, right, the same people who for three years dollars. said Donald Trump was a Russian oh, yeah. asset, oh, yeah. are fine, and, with and are, are worried about foreign interference. Um, and, and and here specifically in the New York Times, they mentioned a single cryptically named entity that has served as a clearinghouse of undisclosed cash for the left. The 1630 fund, I think we've name-checked them we on have, here, we have. Uh, received mystery donations as large as $50 million. My Lord. And disseminated those grants to more than 200 groups while spending a total of $410 million in 2020. That's more than the Democratic National Committee itself. Uh, more, more than the official apparatus of the Democratic Party. Think, I mean, think about that. Look, I don't want to get too wonky here, but this is entirely predictable, right? This is, this is the end result of McCain-Feingold and all the campaign finance nonsense that was done in the early 2000s in the name of bipartisanship, which, by the way, President Bush signed, which was a disaster, a disaster. All it did is create the pathway for courts to obviously recognize the First Amendment. Right. Right? Because so, you made it impossible for them to give in other ways. Right. So all, all they've done, instead of having party apparatuses control their own candidates and control their own message— They've outsourced all of this to the issue area, to the C4s and to super PACs. Right. And so now it's getting, I mean, what's worse than anything is that you've got this just like hodgepodge of liberal apparatus across this country that are manned by 26 year old fail sons pushing paper to one another. Right. That, that take Soros checks and what's his name? Hans Jorgvis. Yeah, that guy. Nice. That, it, taking these these checks and basically funding left-wing efforts like like black lives matter for example or, or like the entire fake news network of progressive sites that are cropping up across the country exactly like the state's newsroom bullshit that we've talked about previously on the program and That's so exactly right the, the, the new york times goes on and it's important for folks to remember the names of these groups uh, it says 1630 is part of a broader network of progressive nonprofits that donors use to fill specific spaces on the political chessboard. The groups in the network, which also include the Hopewell Fund, New Venture Fund, North Fund, and Windward Fund, were administered by a for-profit consulting firm called Arabella Advisors. Uh, Remember the name of that, We've folks. heard that before. Yeah, yeah. So taken together, the Arabella Network spent a total of nearly $1.2 billion in 2020 including paying Arabella combined $46.6 million in 2020 management fees. fees. That's, you know, it's good work if you can get it. Management fees. Good work fees. if you can get it. It says, while the Arabella managed groups do not disclose their donors, foundations backed by some of the biggest donors on the left have disclosed 
major donations to the network. Pierre Omidyar. Oh, yeah. Oh. Name check. Movie name check. The Bill uh, Crystal guy. The billionaire eBay founder disclosed a personal and foundation gifts of $45 million to 1630 and $1.6 million to Hopewell. A foundation backed by George Soros disc- disclosed gifts of $17 million to 1630 and $5 million to Hopewell. Unbelievable. Yeah, the same George Soros who also pledged $125 million, right? For a Dem- super PAC for That's the midterms? Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Hopewell's also sponsored a pro- something called the Democracy Docket Legal Fund. Oh, that's Mark Elias. Oh, that's right. who is that's that right. again? Oh. Who is that guy again? Oh, the, the guy that helps uh, Democrats gerrymander mm. and um, mm-hmm. you know tries to block the seating of Republican congresswoman. He's like, the guy that decries the counting and recounting of Republican votes, but then says no election is uh-huh. ever certified unless you count and recount yeah. Democratic <laughs> votes until you win. That's the guy? That's the guy. That's the guy. That guy's the worst, by the way. He's the a- absolute worst. And and his firm at the time, Perkins Coy, was paid $9.6 million by Hopewell, according to the tax returns. Another $11.6 million by the Biden-backed Priorities USA nonprofit group. And, and speaking of, he had some thoughts when this NYT article dropped. He, he takes a Twitter, says, uh, if anyone wants an example of how journalism is failing democracy, here you go. On one hand, protections against fraud. On the other, hurdles to voting. If the media is not going to be pro-democracy, then it probably is time for the courts to revisit New York Times v. Sullivan. Oh, I said it, I mean, that's, it's amazing. He's like, it's time to sue. You know, if, if if you get bad coverage as a leftist, you're allowed to go full fashion. You could, like, you you know could get rid of the First Amendment. Yeah. And my favorite thing about this tweet where he, he name checks a New York Times for Sullivan is he got a ton of blowback for it, obviously. From the left. He, which he should have. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, this was actually a test. I was testing you. <laughs> <laughs> what an idiot. The guy, I mean, he's literally the worst. If there's ever been a more unscrupulous operative in the political game than Mark Elias, I'd love to meet the person. Because this is, this is somebody who straight face argues one side of the coin for uh-huh. Democrats right. and goes into the same courtroom with where the fact pattern is the opposite right. and argues the exact opposite, uh-huh. it, like straight face. Which, which, like, look, dude, as a lawyer, sometimes that's your job. But then you can't do that. And then also be holier than thou that's the problem. The entire time talking about how you are the the forces of pro-democracy. It's like, no, dude, you're a lawyer for a political party. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. You know, he like he like sues to shut down counting in a whole bunch of Republican counties and also suing to keep open counting in Democratic counties. Like he, this is dude, a, this is an annual he, biannual tradition. He tried to get Nancy Pelosi in the House of Representatives to override state law in Iowa to unseat. Miller Meeks, the mm-hmm. Republican yeah. who won in Iowa. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. But you know what? Look, if he's unhappy, I'm happy. So good peace. New yes. Times. Good, good peace. And shout out to Ken Vogel and to Shane Goldmacher. Yeah. No, I mean, look, th- those guys are real good reporters. First of all, Vogel is the only one that that broke the Hunter Biden. That's right. Ukraine. That's right. News. Yeah. Nobody else would touch it. Right. And they and he was attacked, mercilessly attacked by the left. Who are all subscribers? He, to the he's New York a rare journo right? who like will continue doing their job even if they get ratioed by libs. Right. Like usually that's like, oh my god, people at Twitter or people on Twitter are mean at me. Journos will never touch that again. He's like, no. Yeah, they repackage all their stuff to try to get back in the good graces of the subscribership, but not again. He's a good journalist. So Shane, that's that's an awesome piece. Anyway, fellas, you see these things about the iguanas? 
I did. I did see this. So a cold snap has hit Florida, and obviously if you live in Florida, you know this well. It's colder than it usually is, and uh, iguanas, which live all over the place, are cold-blooded, and they rely on the sun and natural heat of their surroundings. But if it gets cold, (laughs) I didn't know this, actually. If it gets cold, they go into a coma. It's amazing. Right? When I saw this, I was just astounded. I had no idea this happened. So apparently it's like a goat fainting. Remember the fainting goats? Yeah. 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 Same same idea. Same idea. Or if you like scare a goat, one of the fainting goats, it just like tips over. Well, apparently these things, if it gets, if they all live in the trees and if it gets super cold, they go into a coma and fall out of the tree. And that's the thing is, but they, they survive. It says, despite this, most remain alive as they keep breathing and their main body functions still work. They will later thaw out. As the sun and temperatures rise again, I it's identify. Awesome. I identify with the iguana. When, Same, when, right? When it's like really, really cold out on the weekends, I mean, I I'd like to go into a coma for a day. Yeah, you know. Well, I I would too, but apparently the problem is with this is it's like raining iguanas in, <laughs> in, in Florida. It's incredible. Yeah, these people are getting iguanas all over their windshield and and hair, and stuff like that. That's incredible. Yeah, so keep your eye out, Florida. <laughs> all right, how about a border check? What do you think? Yeah, since, I mean, obviously this administration isn't going to discuss it. Yeah, this is incredible. I I saw this story from Fox News. Five Syrian men were arrested by Border Patrol agents as they crossed into Hidalgo, Texas on Thursday, a Department of Homeland Security source told Fox News. The men were picked up by Rio Grande Valley sector agents and mark one of a number of nationalities picked uh, by Border Patrol, many of them from countries far away from the land borders of the United States. Yikes. Dude, Syrian? Syrian, yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, it's globally, it's pretty much like known at this point that, hey, you know, the Biden administration, open borders, you know, do whatever you want. They, they Roll out the red carpet. Yeah. Well, I mean, so we had McCarthy tell us this when we were with him two weeks ago, where he was saying, like, look, Intel reports, I'm not giving you anything classified, but Intel reports tell you from an unclassified perspective that there's been a lot of this. Right. Where you get people who are, you know, not necessarily not necessarily like high value detainees, but people who are highly suspect of of potential problems. If you have five Syrian men, what are the hell are they doing here? Well, the, I mean, the data right here is is pretty interesting. It, it, it's showing that a, an increasing percentage of of the migrant crossings are not, you know, people from a country that touches America or is even in the same hemisphere. There's a ton of now they're they're suspecting it's like Russian. Uh, human trafficking going down and uh, oh. uh, 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 border official told Axios the changes in demographics speaks more to smuggler tactics than anything else Jesus. they're running an illicit business and any part of that business that's growing is or any an illicit business and part of any business is growing your customer base I guess this is like uh, the minor Russian incursion that Biden <laughs> was talking about it's just happening now at the southern border. That's terrifying. No, it really is terrifying, particularly because you can't get these people to pay attention to it. Have we still not had an administration briefing on the video that Fox News ran last week of them packing a a airplanes out in, in Texas and flying them all over the country? Yeah, like, what the right. hell is going on? Yeah. They're yeah. Not no, talk I mean, about it. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I guess in particular, what really just like upsets me is that humanitarian part of this where you've got people being trafficked into the country yeah you know i mean like we're utterly failing these people by not securing the border and people would think the inverse you right. know these soft-headed liberals who think well you know we're welcome at all and it's like you're, you're naive you're not understanding what the actual root of the problem is it's fentanyl it's human trafficking i mean it's 
it's out of control. There's nothing, and I mean nothing, compassion about open borders. Nothing. All it all it does is create human trafficking, sex trafficking, drug trafficking. It, the it enables the worst people in the world, the cartels, to take advantage of all of this. And 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 it's not just a, like you said, it's not just the American people, although that's my greatest concern. But it's all these people who, are, who this is their last hope. Right. Right. And they so. They put their faith in these traffickers, and the next thing you know, here they are. They're in the belly of some plane or in some cargo truck. Right. They're being driven across the border into completely uninhabitable conditions, and then like they're expected to, to make a life here. Like I, don't, I just don't it's understand it. It's really it's incredible. It's horrible. So I'm gonna I'm gonna transition subjects. That was something that we were hoping, you know, President Biden would be interested in. But now something maybe Hunter Biden would be interested in. <laughs> Folks, we got a cocaine pig heart. <laughs> cocaine pig heart. This That's is right. the best story of the day for sure. So from the New York Post, uh, cocaine was the secret ingredient in pig-to-human heart transplant. The organ used during the groundbreaking pig-to-human heart transplant that took place earlier this month got a boost from an unlikely drug, cocaine. Now doctors hope to see more of the party drug in transplant hospitals. It says uh, Dr. Uh, Muhammad Muhaddin Director of Xenotransplantation, which refers to the process of transferring an animal organ into a human, <laughs> explained how cocaine was used in a mixture among hormones, including cortisol and adrenaline, that keep the live tissue from spoiling during its long journey overseas to Maryland. But the proprietary solution raised flags with drug enforcement officials in the U.S., where cocaine has never been used in this setting. Uh, this is a quote. The cocaine name pops out here because everybody thinks, oh, my God, what is cocaine doing in here? When we were not using this solution, we were getting failures within 48 hours. But when we started using this and infusing the heart with this solution, the heart became well-preserved and started beating very well. That's incredible. Can you imagine getting a pig heart implanted and you, like, you suddenly like jump out of bed and you're like, I want to dance all night. <laughs> I wonder like, if it like enters the bloodstream. Like, is this just like straight-up party time? As soon as the heart starts beating, it's like, let's go. Hi, my name is Josh. What's going on? Are you, are you having fun? The, I, the, I love to have they're fun. Like, they're, like, they're like in the operating room and the background's playing like, Rush, Rush, give me a yo. It's amazing. Like, I mean, my question, though, is like, how did he, how did he come to this? You know, decision. Yeah, at what point are you like, hey, I like, think cocaine Let's give cocaine a shot. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have an idea maybe where it came from, where they're like, you know what, guys? We're having a great time tonight. You know what would work? If we use this shit in a heart transplant. Maybe well, that's... first of all, they're way outside of the box anyway, yeah. right? I mean, we're talking about putting a pig heart that's in right. a these, human these being. They're definitely outside the box thinkers. So, you know, you're, you're like, all right, well, I don't know if the pig heart works or not, but let's just sprinkle some coke on it. Maybe it'll maybe we'll make, <laughs> make this thing beat. Always a good idea. Unbelievable. So anyway, if you're going to if you're I'm just saying this is a public service announcement. If you're interested in getting a big heart, uh, check your dealer. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Unbelievable. Make, make sure cause it's like, you know, you, you like to party. That's part of the part of the deal with the big yeah, heart. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, let's get to this interview. Uh, this is Steve Hilton and Kristen Garcia Dumont. I think you'll enjoy it. I want to welcome to the program two very interesting people. Really looking forward to this conversation. Steve Hilton and Chris and Kristen Garcia Dumont. They are the co-hosts, co-hosts of the California Rebel Base podcast. You probably recognize Steve's voice from a, a variety of things. He's the Fox News Channel's next revolution with Steve Hilton. Uh, welcome, guys. How are you? Great. Great. Great to be with you. 
listen, I've, let's just start with the obvious, right? You got this California thing going on. We saw pictures on Sunday of your governor, yeah. apparently, <laughs> apparently not adhering to all of the uh, masking mandates, shall we say? It doesn't apply to royalty. Don't you remember? <laughs> the rules don't apply if you are a royal and they've all self-ordained themselves as royalty. And so they don't have to wear the mask. It's just, it, Steve and I talk about the mask stuff all the time. It's totally wild. And we've said this before and we'll say it again, which is, you know, it's not at, about anything having to do with safety when they don't follow the rules. So everyone just needs, at this point, just stop, take the masks off, enough, done. They've told you they're leading by example. Let's take them all off. Let's oh, be free. Exactly. It's a whole thing. It's so enraging because just at the point where you kind of forget about how infuriating the kind of rule by these kind of one party maniacs in California is, and you kind of think, oh, we can just get on with life. Whatever. They do something to remind you how terrible <laughs> right. they really are. You know, so, you know, just trundling along. And then the other day, um, he, Newsom goes down to the scene of those railway thefts in, in Los Angeles. And he's kind of standing in the middle of this absolute yes. of chaos. And he's sort of standing there like a sort of passive observer saying, oh, my God, what the hell is going on? This is terrible. You know, I'm only the governor. Let, 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 please don't think I should have anything to do with it. And then the worst thing about it, which I don't think has been that picked up, is the way he kind of he said, I've taken off my jacket and I've come down here. Let's clean it up as if it's a litter problem. No, it's not a litter problem. It's a crime problem, which you're not dealing with. And your policies have made worse. So they just enrage you, as you can tell from my voice. It's just so infuriating. And then now, after I've calmed down about that ridiculous thing the other week, there's this with the masks. And remember that our kids in California, they are forcing them to spend all day in a mask. Yeah. Even, and they're also forcing them to be vaccinated. So you have vaccinated kids forced to wear a mask all day long, including outdoors, by the way, at school. Don't take them off outdoors. Not allowed to do that. And then these people go, go to a football game for a nice sort of photo op with their celeb friends. Don't wear the mask. I mean, it's just, it's just the thing about it. People can say, oh, that hypocrisy. You hear that word all the time when this kind of thing comes up. It's actually much worse and much deeper than hypocrisy because what it really shows is that they know, just as Kristen was just saying, they know that their rules are bullshit and are not driven by yeah. public health. If they really believed that wearing a mask was essential for public health and to protect people, you know, let's at least give them that they're kind of fundamentally, you know, they don't want to go around killing people, right? So if they really believed it was a question of public safety, then they wouldn't take them off. But they know it's bullshit. That's what's so infuriating about the whole thing. Oh, and, and Steve knows this too, which is, this is a year ago, Steve. Remember we were going to lunch? And I said, this, this, we're wearing state mandated clothing. <laughs> sit, sit on that thought for a second. Exactly. Oh my Why? And, wh and where are the facts? Where's the science behind wearing state mandated clothing? And the fact that people weren't in the very beginning saying, well, hold on a second. You don't get to tell us what to wear absent some really compelling proof that this does something. And now we're two and a half years into state mandated clothing. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's not going to end. No, I, that's the that's the problem is that there's this dogmatic commitment from the left to just sort of follow it. Right. Science be damned. Follow the science. That was my favorite bit about this whole thing. Science is nowhere to be seen at this point. Right. If there was science behind, I don't think Gavin Newsom would have been at French Laundry for crying out loud. Of but course. now you fast forward. Now he's now he's at the stadium. I mean, these guys are the worst. Yeah. And they keep saying oh that it's God. the right that's politicizing everything. And it's not. No. And then the other thing, you know, the other, there's so many sort of California-specific angles to it, because if you think about the, I mean, the, 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 the thing that in a way really kind of turned, you know, right at the beginning to be, 
uh, honest with you. You know, I've worked in, in the government before, back in the UK. I know what it's like when there's a sort of big crisis comes, crisis comes along. I know Gavin Newsom a little bit. You know, we have friends and mutual friends. I was actually trying to be supportive, right? I would send him notes. What about this? Have you thought about that? Trying to connect him to people that might help with PP or whatever. You know, I was trying to be supportive because it's, you know, it's difficult. You don't know what's going on, et cetera. Right. But then as the months went on, it just became so clear that there was no reason behind any of this. It was pure kind of power play based on no science and just this desire to be at the center of attention and do these other endless press conferences and kind of everyone hanging on your word. Oh, my God, am I allowed to open my store? Whatever. They loved all that drama and being the center of attention. The thing that really turned me, apart from the French laundry thing, obviously, was the other thing which is particularly egregious in relation to California, which was, Kristen, it was just, was it just at the end of 2020, wasn't it, after Thanksgiving, when they put in place the outdoor dining ban. Right? Yeah, yes. So in California, where, you know, the, the climate, the one place in America, apart from Hawaii, where, you know, it kind of really works to do, <laughs> to do all these restaurants, these small businesses, they'd invested in it, they'd, they'd spent, you know, money making their patios nice, making it all great, and they go and ban it, where actually all the evidence is that there's barely any transmission outdoors at all. So not only was it completely kind of outrageous and not what it actually did was, it was totally counterproductive because it meant that people went indoors to eat and socialize whatever rather than in these safe outdoor places that are really nice that all these places just oh my god i can just feel this is why we do the podcast actually there's just so much going wrong in <laughs> california and it's yeah. not actually covered you don't get a chance to cover it enough there's so much going wrong nationally of course with the biden administration i talk about it all the time on my fox show you know i wanted an outlet to kind of be able to just you know, be a place where people could just point out all these things that are just going so badly wrong in our, in our state. Well, let me ask you on the COVID piece, because there was a poll out, I think this morning, that showed something like 76% or so odd of, of Americans basically came to the conclusion that we all ought to understand that COVID is going to be with us for the long haul and you got to resume your normal life, right? That number doesn't surprise me, right? Because, I mean, everybody I know who's been dealing with this for two plus years basically has come to that conclusion on their own. They take their whatever precautions they feel like they need mm -hmm. to take for they and their family, and they make those decisions and move on. But there's always been, and Steve, you sort of point, hinted at this, there's always been this government, uh, attractive government piece to the left here. There's always been this, this element of state control that yeah. COVID has enabled. And, and, and when you look at a state like California, which has always been sort of the precursor to the to the left for the rest of the country, at what point do you think that Gavin Newsom and his folks will ever get to a point where they can tell the population, OK, let's just resume our normal life ever? Well, Kristen, you take that because, I mean, you've, you've never a lot. I mean, I, you know. <laughs> absolutely not. I think this was intended to to really push the envelope on how much power can they assume? How much, and this is uh, number two is super important, how much dependence upon the government yeah. can they create? And they've been able to create a lot. And so California was a great experiment for the people who want, and this is, I think, people on the left, who want people, the population to be dependent on the government for everything. It's why they're destroying small business. That whole thing about, you know, you can't, after restaurants no longer, they're banned because of COVID. That was all nonsense. I mean, we knew that all of the, you know, union contracts that we're negotiating from the health industry, the motion picture industry, you know, they successfully 
lobbied Gavin to be able to have outdoor, you know, dining as much as they wanted. It wasn't about health. It was about, we're going to favor certain industries and we're going to destroy certain industries because then all those people will be dependent upon the government. And then we will give and take as we see fit. And we have total and complete control. And I know that sounds yeah. super tinfoil hatty. No, it's, it's true. Not. It's not. And it's, why no, 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 but that, it's exactly it's, right. They yeah. love, they love the, because if you think about the, you know, if, if this is a, again, a, a, well, let's just take a sort of the broader point I wanted to make as you as you were sort of laying that out. It was the, the, you know, they're open about it. They, they you know, they couch it in kind of moderate language. But if you and this is not just in California, across the country, the way you hear this all the time from Democrats, both you know politicians and and those who work for them and and, and some in the media as well, they say, well. You know, what's the what's the the real kind of goal of the Biden administration is to show that government works. Right. To <laughs> prove to people that government can work. Right. And they really you know, they see it as an opportunity to push their worldview that actually you need a, 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 a the bigger and bigger government for everything to, to, to work properly. And as Kristen said, you need to be dependent on it. And that translates into the specific action. So, for example, they're relaxed about shutting down the economy, shutting down businesses. Why? Because that actually gives them an opportunity to expand the welfare state. They said, don't worry about, you know, making money and earning a living. We'll do that for you. We'll send you checks. You can live off the government. That's exactly what's happened in California. They topped up the welfare payments um, from Biden uh, and the the Congress approved. And did their own. And Chris, are they still going on? I mean, it's, you know, we know with these people. I mean, and he's got so much money pouring in now um, with this budget that's all to do with this kind of skewed tax base of the state, totally dependent on the stock market, basically, and rich people fight their right. claims that and, you know, the rich don't pay enough tax. Whatever they got, they're swimming in money, sending it out all over the place because it's another chance to grow government and prove that their worldview is basically right. Right. And then I, the laptop class can sit at home. And the truckers bring them their food, right? And the working exactly. class, you know, you know, stocks their shelves. And it's a little luxury belief that they have that they get to sit around and say, like, well, just everybody stay home. Keep everyone <laughs> safe. Stay home. <laughs> it's such an elitist, disgusting, out of touch. You're very rich and very privileged to be able to even utter those words because most people couldn't stay home. They must be so very surprised at their unpo- own unpopularity. Right. I mean, I think I think that the the one silver lining, as Steve, as you said, you know, if if they're underpinning for the Biden administration is essentially make government work or show that government can work. I think we can all definitively come to the conclusion after a year that 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 certainly <laughs> yeah, yeah. has not come to fruition. Right. And it's, it is. It's, it's absolutely. I mean, it, you know, it's not funny in the real world because it, it leads to sort of appalling human uh, tragedy and and humanitarian disasters on a massive scale. If you look at, for example, the southern border or Afghanistan, you can go through the list. I often do on my Fox News <laughs> show. Um, and it's just, but, but, you know, the hilarious part of it is that these are the people who sold themselves to us as, you know, the people who really understand government, the adults back in the room, you know, Biden with his foreign policy experience, you know, and and, and Ron Klein, all these people who really understand Washington and how to get legislation passed and how to make the machinery of government work. And it's just been one disaster after another. And actually, you know, half of it is incompetence. And they just they're actually what it really reveals is that they're not that. And this is like from, from my perspective, as someone who's actually worked inside um, a government trying to implement policy, which I did for, for, for years back in the UK, is that they're actually not interested in that. They're actually interested, and it, I think, is a defining characteristic of, of the left and the Democrats these days, 
is it really is about virtue signaling. I know that term is used, probably overused, but it is about the right signal, sending the right mm-hmm. message to the activist, being able to use the right, you know, we're compassionate, we're doing it, just sending out those messages regardless of actually making any change happen on the ground in the real world. And often the changes that do happen as a result of their policies, and the border is the classic example, are counterproductive and actually hurt the exact people that they claim to help. And they don't care as long as they can sort of, you know, parade their virtue. Yep, that's 100%. Signal virtue when you when there's an absence of it, right? I mean, that's that's basically what it's boiled down to. Let me let me ask you this because it's a little bit of a, a tangent off the same subject with COVID and everything else. Clearly, an, another piece that has come to the forefront of as conservatives that we've had concerns about is the, the overall censoring of speech, right? Yeah. And now, now we've got Joe Rogan with Spotify, the Neil Young absence, all these artists sort of lining up in their in their woke uh, parade to to sort of march off of Spotify, which you know, fine. Uh, what's your level of concern in California? I feel like this is sort of leading the way uh, for the rest of the country, and I think it's a huge problem. Well, I'll jump in first because you know, from a as a tech exec, from a technology perspective. What's even probably more terrifying is the non-obvious forms of censorship, right? So when you have the Spotify situation, everybody's talking about it. And there's actually some healthy debate going on about, you know, what well, was Neil Young right to do this, wrong to do it? Okay, so you debate it. But there's so much censorship that people don't see, including, for example, Google searches. And people talk about this a little bit, but it really gets buried. So when you type in something, you just don't even see the results, right? Mm-hmm. It just Unless you went to DuckDuckGo or you have a Tor browser, you're just not going to see this information at all. So you just don't even know it exists. So that kind of very subtle, dark censorship is Mm -hmm. very, very prevalent. And so people don't know. And it shapes people's points of view because they think, well, I didn't read anything about it or this didn't produce any search results. So it must not be a thing. There is no trucker convoy because when I type it in, I don't find it. That's one. Two is the self-censorship in California is extraordinary. Good luck having a conservative view in California, right? (laughs) So, you know, I do every, every time we do the podcast, I get a little bit of a pit sweat because it's a little stressful to like, I'm building a company and I'm on my next one. I'm founded, founded a new company. You know, I'm about to fundraise. You really do have these thoughts of I've put my career at risk fighting for what I believe in and fighting for what is right, which is nuts. And then it does motivate me to do it even more because other people can't. But that's insane. The amount of self-censorship where all of tech has a religion and the religion is just anti-Trump. That's it. Yeah. So it's blue. It's anti-Trump, period. Right. And I think the Trump thing has has, has totally sort of accelerated all this. And it's just so fascinating. I'm just anecdotally just around here. You know, we're both based um, in in Northern California, in the Bay Area, right in Silicon Valley, literally at the heart of it. You know, they're all around me. And and I I know the senior executives of most of the companies that we're talking about personally friends with them and so on i started a tech company as well after teaching at stanford a few years ago so i've been right in all that mix so there's two two points i'd make here first of all um that sort of general it's there's such a kind of overwhelming um left wing progressive left far left group think culturally in those places not through the whole state of california actually you know there's a huge you know i think is it right that i think the 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 state with the largest number of trump voters in the in, in america just because of its size was california Numerosity. a healthy proportion yeah. of, of, of 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 they just don't live in the places that dominate the culture so specifically the bay area and uh, los angeles and the, and the entertainment industry 
But when you go around, like anecdotally, there's so so often now, you know, obviously I'm on TV talking about this. I can't really hide or run away from it, nor would I ever choose to. But, you know, people come up to you all the time. And they, it's, it's, so, it's like being, in, you know, my family, Hungarian. And I remember going back in, uh, you know, when, when I used to go visit my family back in Hungary under the communist re- regime. I remember very clearly when I was a kid, you know, walking around the street with my cousins like stupidly making some joke about the, the you know the, the leader of the country communist leader of the country and later that day my um aunt took me aside in a very serious manner and sat me down and said i heard what you said on the, you know you shouldn't you can't say things like that on the street we will get into trouble mm. and that always stayed with me i was like eight years old or something and that really stayed with me my god you can't say what you think it's like that all the time here. People all the time come up to me and say, oh, I love your show, but I wouldn't tell anyone around here. But actually, if you add up the numbers of people that say that, it's actually, they could say it, but they don't really know. The, the more kind of structural point I'd make, um, knowing the people who run some of these companies, and we had a specific example ourselves with the podcast with YouTube, where we had Jay Bhattacharya on. Um, we were talking about um, vaccination, and he's, a, he's not an anti-vaccine. He's pro-vaccine, but he was making some arguments about ch- you know, ch- children and so on based on science and YouTube took down our podcast mm. episode with him. And we had a hilarious kind of sequence of events around that where we, where we, we, we um, put, there, there were two tracks we went down, which is that I wanted to go on about it on my Fox show. So our, my Fox news team reached out to them to complain. And that went through the kind of corporate PR um, process. And then separately, just in the normal way, like any normal other user of YouTube, we, we um, uh, took advantage of their dispute process. And we challenged the ruling just online, as anyone else would have to do. And it was the most hilarious sequence. So we got back, it was like the, it was a Saturday, wasn't it, Christian? Just before, yep. the sun, before the Sunday show. Saturday night, we got a message through the normal process from YouTube saying, we have carefully reviewed your content and can <laughs> confirm that it's still... Um, breaks our violates our community guidelines and therefore um this is a strike against you and we will not be putting up your content that was on saturday night the next morning our fox team in new york got a message saying actually we've looked at it and it was a mistake and it's fine oh it's unbelievable just kidding it's unbelievable it's incredible unbelievable this total total you know i laid all i and of course i laid all that out on the show but the thing is that it's all bullshit. The whole thing is bullshit. But actually, one interesting thing that I've picked up from talking to some of these executives, and this is actually, in a way, more worrying, um, because actually the ideology that founded a lot of these tech companies, I, you know, as I, I don't want to keep going on, but I literally know some of the founders and I've met them. And, you know, I, they're sincere in their starting position on a lot of this, which was they truly believed in the idea of democratizing information. That was really a driver for them. You know, I'm talking about 10, 15 years ago when they started some of these companies. And they love the idea of just being people can say what they want and so on. And now, you know, I would say that they don't particularly love this position of censor that they've been put in. But a huge amount of pressure, a huge amount of the um, a big factor in all this, let's put it that way, is actually pressure from advertisers. And that's what is not really talked about. But a lot of this is coming from their big corporate advertisers who say to them, we don't want our ads ending up next to content that we find problematic. Of course, the, the, the more woke that these corporations get, the, the longer the list of things that, could, that they consider to be problematic. No, it's and incredible. so a lot of the pressure is actually commercial. And, and that's in, in a way more worrying because what that tells you is the way that you know, not just the big tech, but the whole of corporate America 
has become so captured by the left. And that's what's really worrying about all of this. No, it is. It's a much bigger picture. Kristen? Yeah, I wanted to add one thing, which is, uh, okay, I I agree that there's a a ton of advertising revenue pressure, so that it's a business decision. But I do think it's equally important that at the end of the day, they do think they're right and they disagree with us. And so they do think these voices should be censored. Steve knows my stories. Like I've been at many, many, many dinners with, you know, many names that people would know, right? We're having these CEO roundtables and, you know, they say things like, but they really believe that Trump is not a bad person and they believe in these policies, guys, it's terrifying. And they describe like the whole of a Trump supporter as this very uneducated. Like it's a Martian. Yeah, a bigoted like person who's taken advantage of, like they've been, you know, suckered by the guy. Right? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I always thought thought of it like it's either a foreign exchange program or sometimes they think of us like zoo animals, right? It's like you you go. I know, I know. (laughs) Like a petting zoo. You're so right. And I remember that that you know it was really pointed to me when when um, it was the same year actually, it was 2016. You know, Trump's sort of obviously that election, but it was just before that, of course, it was Brexit in the UK. Yes. And I'd always argued for that position, you know, all, you know, for, for decades, actually, before that. And in fact, I nearly persuaded David Cameron, when I worked with him, I was senior advisor to David Cameron, I nearly persuaded him to make leaving the EU the official position of the Conservative Party, which, mm-hmm. by the way, if we'd have done, would have saved a huge amount of problems, because it wouldn't have been this divisive referendum, it yeah. would have been actually part right. of a, a normal election campaign. Anyway, that didn't happen. So I've always had that position. And I went back a little bit to argue for it. I've, I've been living here in California since we moved here 2012. So this was, you know, I was based here and whatever. I went back and I had a book out. and I, So I made the argument for Brexit, became associated with it. I just re- remember coming back and, and people here in California, they, the way they'd sort of look at you <laughs> with this kind of, so in, in they're trying to be polite, yeah. but just the patronizing condescension. So I don't really understand why anyone would be for Brexit. Could you explain <laughs> it to me? Like, it's just amazing. It's incredible. I had so many conversations like that. It's such right, a it's like soft... it's if you just read one more book that they recommended. Oh, that's exactly you'd right. Come around. That's like exactly maybe right. get educated while you're at it. Right. <laughs> oh, that's that whole... right. Reading. I forgot about the reading. <laughs> got it. Listen, guys, I could talk with you for days about this. This has been so fun, but I got three big questions I got to ask you. Okay. The, the, right. fir- the first big question, if you could pl- uh, plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? Kristen. Dude, totally Taco Bell. Yeah, I love that. Straight up Taco Sorry. Bell. Sorry, it's a straight up Taco Bell because I don't have to worry about the next day feeling guilt or shame or whatever. I would just go ham. Do you have an order? Bell. Do you have an order? Like I've got the same order that I've ordered yes. since like 1997 yes. at Taco Bell. I always get a burrito supreme and a crispy beef taco and then the, the hot sauce. Oh, yeah. It has to be the hot sauce. It can't be and the fire or the mild. The fire is disgusting. That's exactly Not, right. Yeah, yeah, fire is disgusting. Hot exactly. sauce. <laughs> Steve, what do you got? Well, look, I would, I mean, if we are in that territory, I would definitely, I'm, I've been a McDonald's guy all my life. I worked there when I was a kid. Um, later on, when I had a consulting firm in, in the UK and we worked for McDonald's. I love McDonald's, you know, with a passion, but I'm not going to pick McDonald's. Although if I did, I would probably pick the, some, some combination from the breakfast menu if I did that. <laughs> Good call. In fact, my, my choice is going to be, it's a little more elitist than McDonald's, so forgive me for that, but it's a kind of breakfasty thing. So I think truly what I, I, what I would have is like, bre- like bread from Acme Bread Company here in the Bay Area, the most amazing bread, okay. they, and butter. You've got to be kind of unsalted butter and scrambled eggs. 
So that that would oh. be my choice, like bread and butter scrambled eggs. A real breakfast guy. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Okay. All right. So here's the second question. And then you got to modify these to your own to your own life because we interview a lot of politicians on here, and it's always like, if you're not a politician, what would you be doing with your life? Let's just say you never got into the nexus of politics and media. Uh, if you weren't doing what you're currently doing in your life, what do you think you'd be spending your time doing? Okay, well, mine's easy because I don't want to do this anyway. I hate being in politics. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really feel like I was just like the everyman on the podcast. I'm like, they brought politics to my door, man. They like made me wear certain clothing. They shut my kids down. Like, True. that's why I'm doing this. So it's like, no, I don't want to do this at all. I, I think politicians <laughs> should go back into the like, you're scummy. Nobody likes you. Go away. Leave yeah, us I home, think it's my right? fault, isn't it? I talk to it's you. totally your fault. So I would be doing what I'm doing, which is, hell, I'm building an app that fights censorship. So I guess it is kind of wed to politics, but I, I would have that. I would have built it earlier. What's the name of the app? It's Right now, the company is called Aspire. We haven't decided to, how to name the app yet. Okay. We might call it Aspire, we'll see. But it's basically deep fakes for good. So you totally protect your identity. And instead of deep faking with like Donald Trump's face, you it's an AI generated face. And so you have a fully protected identity and a slightly modified voice and it's free expression. You make videos and we don't keep your true identity. We don't know who you are. We trash it. And I think it's going to be the new wave where people wow. are pseudonymous to protect themselves. So In the world of cancel culture, that is going to take off. I love yeah, it. It has to. Interesting. It, it's too yeah. much risk for people to talk right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how about you, Steve? So listen, so I, I'm, it's definitely going to be something in the food area um, because I just, I'm very greedy, basically. I love food. I actually did start a restaurant in, in London, um, which was um, total fun and great and just lost a huge amount of money, but was great uh, doing it along the way. We, we, at least we made the money from our other business. So I didn't borrow the money, but that was, you know, whatever. So I love all of that. I don't think I would do a restaurant again. I do love cooking. The thing I would love to be able to do bake proper like really well i can do bread basic bread yeah but there's this line in this movie i think it was one of the what was that the the, the harry potter not the, you know the kind of spin-off there's something creatures or whatever okay what was that i, you, I don't you, remember it, anyway, i don't know <laughs> anyway whatever i have kids i don't know watching, whatever there was what there was there was this line in this movie and there's something to do with the kind of pastry shop or bakery and someone said to the other person like why do you want to run a pastry shop and he said, because pastries make people happy. And that oh. just stayed with me, that line. And I would love to be able to run a fantastic bakery and do the baking and make people happy that way. I love that. That's a great tagline, too. That's fantastic. All right. So here's the third and final question. And this one's this is a little esoteric, right? We get a little uh, sociological with this, but it goes to your motivations, right? And the question is, what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? The way we look at it is a thrill of victory person is like the you know, the happy optimist always charging up the hill, glass half full kind of person. The agony of defeat person is like a Michael Jordan type figure, right? Somebody who's every defeat they've ever experienced in their life, they wear like a backpack and vow never to repeat it, right? It, it lingers much longer than anything that's made them happy in their entire life. Where do you guys find yourselves on that <laughs> spectrum? I would say I'm a thrill of victory person who heavily studies the psychopathic agony of defeat people. Cause man, they will shank you so fast if you're not paying attention. So exactly I have great right. respect for the agony of defeat people. Keep an eye on them. How about you, <laughs> yeah. Steve? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's, I'm, I'm pretty much the same. I definitely, um, I, I'm always accused by my wife of kind of only remembering the good things. 
and like and and like sort of remembering great. things about you whether that's you know the early day we have two sons you know like I'd say, oh, he never, he slept really well. So, no, he didn't. You, can't, you don't remember anything. And so I definitely, um, I think I'm the, you know, that positive thing. And, and I, I am able, I think, what's that? There's a brilliant line. I can't remember. Someone said like, with, with someone who's able to sort of leap from, from failure to failure with no, with nothing in between. I don't know, whatever. I think, you know, these, I start these, I'm very good at starting things. I get them going. Not so great at building them, but I do enjoy starting new things and i'm always and i think there's a sort of basic optimism in that that you think yeah this time is going to be great totally um, so yeah i think I'd, I'd come down on that side i love that well listen steve hilton Kristen garcia dumont they are the ho- co-hosts of california rebel base a podcast you ought to check out and obviously you can check out steve on fox news channel on sunday nights right steve exactly sunday at nine eastern yeah all right perfect well listen thank you so much for joining us we really enjoyed it let's do it again sometime so interesting. I feel, I mean, I feel like I can listen to him talk forever. That, that was in terms of doing an interview, the time went faster than I, than it typically does because, you know, listening to Steve talk is, is pretty entertaining if nothing else, but, but also it's fun people. Yeah. Good. good I'm sure they Fantastic. got a good I'm going to give that podcast a shot for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And we'll, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to go on theirs as well. Do a little reciprocation. I don't know how they still operate in California though. That seems like a disaster. Anyway, uh, great episode, fellas. Yeah, outstanding episode. So, you know, great job. We got to cover cocaine pig hearts. We covered the news, a little candy, and, and vegetables. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lids. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.